kicked off this new series called In This Together, a series on community. Uh, but even if you weren't, let me just real quick recap. We looked at the beginning of the book of Genesis at the six days of creation, right? On the first day, God created some stuff and he said it was good. On the second day, he created more stuff and said it was good. Third day, more stuff, good. Fourth day, good. Fifth day, good. Sixth day, creates some more stuff, including man. And he says, it is very good. And then you turn the page to Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, for the first time in all of time, God says that something is not good. Now, what was it that was not good? This is your quiz. Do you remember? What did God say was not good? He said it was not good for the man to be alone. Congratulations. Some of you got an A. Some of you got a C. Some of you try again next time. He said it was not good for man to be alone. So what did God do to again make his creation very good? Well, the story goes like this. Basically, it seems to me that God put some ether on a cloth and then walked up behind Adam and snuck up behind him and put his hand over his mouth and his nose until Adam went nighty-night. Now, some of you are thinking, wait a second, Pastor. God doesn't sneak up on people. Really, seriously? Has God never snuck up and surprised you? God surprises me all the time. So how about you let me tell the story my way, okay? So God sneaks up on Adam. Adam goes to sleep, and I am talking about a sleep. I am talking about deep, deep sleep, drooling, snoring, the whole deal. He is asleep. And God takes out his Holy Spirit scalpel and he opens up Adam's side. And the scripture says he takes out one of Adam's ribs and then closes the wound in his side. And he takes the rib and he begins to fashion it and he shapes it into a woman. Now, nowhere in scripture does the scripture tell us what the woman did while Adam was sleeping off the anesthesia. We have no idea. My guess is she probably went shoe shopping or she probably organized all his stuff, put it where he wouldn't find it again. I don't know what she did while he was sleeping, but she waited for him to wake up. Adam wakes up, wipes the sleep from his eyes, looks up and sees a beautiful woman wearing nothing but a smile. And Adam says, yay, verily, verily, this is very good. And this is how God begins to bring his creation back to being very, very good. Now, Moses comments on this in Genesis chapter 2. If you didn't know, uh, Moses wrote the book of Genesis. Turn to the book of Genesis, right? You know, page 1, page 2 of your Bible. You're going to get to Genesis chapter 2. And at the very end of Genesis 2, I want you to notice what Moses tells us, right? Verse 22. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Two became one. God, in his desire to create community for us, made two into one. Now, you have to understand this. There is 
no shame. Notice verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And you wonder, why even add that? Does it really add anything to the story? Do we need to know that they were naked and not ashamed? Absolutely we need to know. This is a really, really big deal because it is a picture of their community. It is a picture of the fact that they are completely open to one another. That God has made them in such a way that there is no division. That God has made them in such a way that there is no arguments. That God has made them in such a way that there's no competing interests. That there's no jealousy, no bitterness, no hiding. God has made them in such a way that they are just people knowing God, knowing each other, and having community together uninterrupted by things like guilt and shame. So it's a big deal. So now we have this perfect community. No hiding. Just God and people in community. Is that how things are today? Not exactly. That is not exactly how things are today. Our experience of life today is not like that. It is not pure, unadulterated trust and, and a community and love without a self-protection. In fact, selfishness is the hallmark of society today. So what happened? Now, I know you know the answer, or at least you think you know the answer to that question of what happened, but there may be more to it than you realize. So I'm going to invite you to join me now in chapter 3 of the book of Genesis as we continue our journey toward figuring out what God's idea of community is for us. And Genesis chapter 3 begins to explain it. Verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree in the garden. So the, the serpent attacks, and he attacks with confusion. He confuses what God said, and she gets the answer right. The woman said to the serpent, verse 2, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. Satan's strategy is working. She's already getting confused. God had not said you shall not touch it or you will die. He said you shall not eat from it. But already she's confused. Satan's a good liar, isn't he? The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now we have a bald-faced lie, right? For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And here we go, verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, let's recap. God exists eternally in perfect community in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So community pre-exists everything that God created. God already had perfect community through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But he decides to add to the community by creating everything, right? And everything is created, it seems, in order to make way for his crowning glory of his creation, that which is made in his own image, mankind. 
And as we learned last week, God invites them into community. And now there are people living in community with God and in community with each other. And this is what God always had in mind. Remember, we talked about this last week. Remember we talked about the great commandment. We talked about vertical and horizontal relationships. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right? This was God's plan all along. That's why when Jesus was asked, he summed it up this way. You're supposed to love God. You're supposed to be in relationship with God. You're supposed to love others. You're supposed to be in relationship with others. And that's what real community looks like. So God had this great plan, and he put the plan in place in the Garden of Eden. But Satan comes against God's perfect plan for mankind. And through temptation, he leads two perfect people to begin to doubt God, to begin to mistrust God. To begin to think that maybe they are in competition with God. And that they should probably be the Lord of their own lives. And so he sells them this lie and they buy it. And when they buy it, everything is thrown into chaos. Watch what happens to the perfect community that God created. Look at verse 7. We're, in, we're still in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened... And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. I know, simple verse, right? But have you ever asked this question? Why? They were perfectly fine before. They were perfectly comfortable before. There never even occurred to them that naked was a thing or that covering up was a thing. And now they have this idea that they need to be ashamed because they're naked. And so they try to cover themselves up. Why did they do that? What made them go to such great lengths to try to hide from each other when they had been so open with each other before? Well, you're ahead of me, right? The answer to the question is sin. It was their sin that not only came between them and God, but it came between them and each other. Whenever sin has the opportunity to infiltrate the relationships of people, to come in the way of true community, sin will always take that opportunity to tear people apart. Let me just give you a big biblical principle, a rule of thumb that you can hold on to, right? God created us for community. And so Satan's strategy is to tear us apart, right? The scripture says the two shall become one. The scripture talks about the church, that though we are many members, we become one body. That the, the idea of unity is paramount in God's plan. And so what does Satan do? He begins to tear us apart. And so he's always trying to take our community away from us. So here's a simple way to know if God's guiding you or if the enemy is trying to trick you. If it contributes to oneness between you and God, it's God's will. If it contributes to oneness between you and the people God has called you into life with, it's probably God's will. But if it separates you from people, if it separates you from God, if it destroys the vertical or horizontal relationship or puts a wall up between it, it is not of God. So ask yourself, when these opportunities come, when these temptations come, when these ideas come, are they going to draw me closer to God and others or are they going to separate me from God and others? It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out when it's God speaking to us 
and when it's Satan trying to trick us. So think about it. The end of chapter 2, God brought them together in perfect community. The two became one. And by the beginning of chapter 3, Satan is already trying to tear them apart. And you can say what you want about Satan, but one thing's for sure. He is very good at what he does. And that's why, as we look at our society today, we see the way people are interacting with each other. It's all about arguments and bitterness and attacks and fights and broken families and riots and wars and violence. All of these things are about tearing people apart. God created us for community. And Satan has been trying, trying to destroy our community ever since. But how does he do it? You remember what we saw last week with the great commandment. You can't love God without loving people. The cross comes as one. There's a vertical and horizontal relationship together, right? You can't love God without loving people. So the two commands are inseparable. While, the, while that's true, the same principle holds true on the other side of the coin as well. If your relationship with God is fractured, I can guarantee you your relationships with people are going to be fractured as well. I want you to notice, God did not drive a wedge between Adam and Eve by attacking their relationship directly. Instead, God drove Adam and Eve apart by attacking their individual relationships with God. He cut off the power source of their relationships by cutting off their relationship with God. And some of you are wondering why your relationships with people seem to always go south. Well, I would venture a guess that in some cases, it has to do with your vertical relationship. That in some cases, you're becoming disconnected from the power that comes in the relationship only with God himself. And when you get distant from God, you automatically fail in your relationships with people because it is the power of God, the love of God, the grace of God that flows through you in your relationships with people. You're never going to have healthy relationships with people unless you have a healthy relationship with God. And as we see in Genesis, because the shame and the humiliation and the hiding, it wasn't just between Adam and Eve. It was between them and God as well. When they sinned, they sinned against God, right? And so it affected their relationship with God. And that's how it affected their relationship with each other. Let's continue to look. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? They were hiding from God. And every time we read this, every time we talk about this, I can't help but elaborate on the fact that that is the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard of. And yet, we all do it. They were hiding from God. They were ashamed, so they hid. They were embarrassed, so they hid. They were uncomfortable, so they hid. They were hurting, so they hid. They separated themselves from God. Why? Because of their sin. 
And that broken relationship with God led to a broken relationship with one another, just like it always does. Pick it up in verse 11. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. In other words, hey, when I woke up and saw her, I thought this was a good deal, but now I'm not so sure. I think this whole thing is her fault. And he throws her under the bus. Verse 12, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be, uh, she gave from the tree and I ate. Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God confronts the serpent, the woman, and the man. And he doles out a curse that has been impacting mankind and the whole of creation ever since. The next several verses describe this curse that is placed on them and upon all of mankind for their sin. By the way, the curse is not God's way of punishing them. The, the, the curse is just the natural consequence of them ignoring what God had warned them about. He gave them their instructions in order to protect them from the curse. It wasn't his way of punishing them. It was a natural response to what happened. I mean, if you're a parent, right, you get this. You, you say to the child, don't touch the stove, it's hot, right? And then the child goes and touches the stove, and he gets a burn on his fingertips. And the burn is not your way of punishing him. The burn is the result of the thing that you were trying to protect him from. And so now mankind finds themselves under a curse because they have ignored God. God didn't ruin Adam and Eve's life. He gave them the freedom to make choices, and they chose the pathway of ruin, just like you and I do so often. And the rest of the Bible is the description of God's gracious response to that terrible choice. The curse is real. And even though the curse is real, I have some very good news for you. Even though the curse is real, even though the curse is devastating, even though the curse is deadly, even though the curse affects us all, guess what? Here's the good news. Are you ready? Jesus came to reverse the curse. I think all around the community, houses should be shouting hallelujah right now. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Paul describes this reality for us in Romans chapter 5. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 5, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go to Romans chapter 5, and I wish that we had time to really unpack this whole thing because there's some great doctrine in here, but all we have time for is to just look at it and understand how it applies to what we're talking about today. Romans 5, beginning in verse 12. Follow along as I read. Paul says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. 
But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of the grace of the man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For, the one, for on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justifica justification of life to all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Hallelujah. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I know that's a bunch of verses and it's a bunch of theology and it's kind of hard to understand. But let me just boil it down. Jesus came to reverse the curse. What the curse that we receive in Adam is obliterated through Christ's righteous life and his act of sacrifice on the cross for us. So just as genuine community began in a relationship with God in the garden, so that same great community is restored through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And here's your big takeaway for today. You will never have great community with other people until you have genuine community with God in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus wants us to experience today. How do I know what Jesus wants us to experience? Because he said so. Turn your Bibles to the book of John. If you're in Romans, just back a little to the left. Go to the book of John. And in the Gospel of John, in chapter 15, Jesus begins to point this out to us. John chapter 15, beginning in verse 4. Jesus speaking to us. Here's what he says. Abide in me. Abide, that is dwell, that is be grafted in, be, be one with me. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do what? Nothing. Apart from abiding in the vine, you can do nothing when your community with God is broken. When there is separation between you and God, you can do nothing of any good in and of yourself. And he elaborates on this in the high priestly prayer. Go to chapter 17, John chapter 17, as he's just continuing through this section. And in John chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, pick it up with me. Here's what he says. He's praying now to God, and he's praying on our behalf. Here's what he says. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that's us, that they may all be one, 
even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, watch this, so that the world may believe that you sent me. You think the division in the church doesn't get in the way of the witness of the church? Jesus says it will be our unity that causes people to believe. And he doesn't just say it once here. He says it twice in this prayer. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that we may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. It's only by abiding in Christ through our relationship with him that real community is even possible with God or with man. That's why Jesus prayed that the thing that would mark our existence as his followers would be unity, community, oneness with him and with each other. So let me leave you with a couple of questions as we wrap up. Very quickly, how is your vertical relationship going? How is it going between you and God? Do you even have a relationship with God? I realize that there may be some who are listening to this or watching this today who would have to admit if they're just honest between them and God, they would have to say, you know what, I don't think I even have a relationship with God. I've never really submitted to him as Lord. I've never invited Jesus into my life to be my Lord and Savior. If that's you, let me just implore you today, there is no time like the present. You have an opportunity right now to receive the free gift of grace that reverses the curse. Are you sick of living in the curse? God says it can end for you right now. You have to confess to him that you're a sinner. You have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and set you free from that sin. And you have to submit to him in his lordship as he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he says if you will do that, he will bring you into a saving relationship and that vertical relationship with God will be yours and it will be uninterruptible. You could do that today. Just in the quietness of your home and the quietness of your own heart, I encourage you to do it. Now, what if you do have a personal relationship with God? Well, my question would be this. What are you doing to grow your community with God? I mean, things like prayer and, and worship and the study of his word and giving sacrificially to the things that he calls you to be about. Are those things prominent in your life? Or are you just hoping that this will sort of happen by osmosis because you're a member of a church? Guys, we have a role to play in this. Our salvation is purely by grace. We don't earn it at all. But when you are in a relationship with God, he calls you to walk in that newness of life. There might be some steps you need to take to work on your relationship with God. If you notice that you're struggling constantly in your relationship with people, maybe you need to focus on your relationship with God. And on the strength of your community with God, let me ask you this. What are you doing to enhance your community with others? In a time in our history in which living in community has more roadblocks in the way than has ever been before, what are you doing to overcome those obstacles? What are you doing to live in community with others? Is there someone you need to forgive and you just haven't been willing to do it? Well, now's the time. Get that community back. 
Walk in the same forgiveness that Jesus has given you and express that forgiveness to others. Is there, is there a neighbor that you need to develop a relationship with? Is there someone you know of that you need to reach out to? Maybe even a friend and you have just stayed distant from them for whatever reason for some time and it's time to make up that gap. What are you doing to live in community with others? Because guys, the curse of sin is debilitating. But Jesus came to reverse the curse. As you walk in his grace, may you experience the joy of genuine community with God and with man. Father, it's with that cry in mind that we come to you today asking you, Father, to help us to live in genuine community with you. We pray, God, that you would take our vertical relationship with you and you would heal the broken places, that you would remove the walls and the barriers that we have put up between us and you. We pray that each of us would walk in genuine community with you. And we pray that as that happens, Lord, that healing would just leak out to all of our other relationships. We pray for those horizontal relationships, some of which have been so badly damaged by sin. We pray, God, that the curse would be reversed even in those relationships and that we would live in genuine community, that the world may see our community and know that you were sent by the Father. For your glory and in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.